Welcome to Rethink, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm Maggie Flynn. The Royal Health Group in Massachusetts had long planned to move one of its skilled nursing facilities, located in Falmouth, but then came the COVID-19 pandemic. With hospitalizations poised to surge, the operator ended up fast-tracking the transition to help ease the strain on local hospitals. I wanted to ask the team at Royal Health about the process and about what they're seeing on the ground. All right, I am joined by the Royal Health Group today. Thank you so much for joining me. Can you all say your name and your titles? And we will get started to talk about the work you're doing in Massachusetts to help hospitals with COVID-19 overflow. Yeah, this is Jim Maymory, and I'm the uh, CEO. And I'm Robin Solonecki, Vice President of Operations. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I know every skilled nursing provider is is very busy in this current time. And I wanted, I really appreciate you making the time to talk about the transition that you've made with this facility. I think I really want to get started because Massachusetts has been in the news for its attempts to try and set up a post-acute option for COVID-19 patients. Uh, There's been some ups and downs with it. We reported on the first few attempts where transitions of patients had to actually be halted because of positive tests. So I want to start with just when Royal Health Group began working on this, what was the timeline? When did your conversations with the Cape Cod Healthcare begin? And when did the State Department of Public Health become involved? Yeah, so the genesis of this situation is that we had a vacant building in the same town that our operating building is, uh, about a half a mile apart. And the vacant building was much newer. And our plan was to, over a period of the next few months, to move one facility to uh, operations to the next, to the newer facility. We had a timeline of about three months that we were planning on doing this over. And um, we had arranged financing through Greystone. And to get the facility underway, we had a lot of renovations still that we wanted to do and, and bring the facility up to uh, current code. We had done a, a great deal of work over the past year or so. When we realized what was starting to occur with COVID-19, uh, we thought about uh, the fact that we had an empty, we, we did have an empty facility, but our uh, current lender was not willing to let us move forward with utilizing the, the newer building for COVID-19. So we went to Greystone and asked them if they would uh, accelerate the transition and, and the financing, and they agreed tentatively, pending the approval from the Department of Public Health and, and Cape Cod Healthcare who showed some interest. So on March 4th was the first time we met. I met with the folks at Cape Cod Healthcare, uh, and they saw both facilities and agreed that uh, they would be able to utilize the uh, our existing facility. So we started making some initial arrangements, and then the Department of Public Health got involved about a week and a half later. So around March uh, 12th or 13th, we started talking daily at that point. And the plan was that uh, if we could get Greystone to accelerate, and they, they agreed that they, they moved the financing along much quicker, we then began to prepare our staff and our residents for the move. We started filling up the newer facility with furniture and equipment. And uh, after uh, significant negotiations with the Department of Public Health and, and with Cape Cod Healthcare, we were then told that they needed this building very quickly because of the pending surge. So about uh, 
now about uh, 10 days ago, maybe closer to 14 days, we uh, went into high high gear and we basically compressed a three-month three plan into six or seven days. And um, today, wow. um, today is the day that uh, the first five uh, patients from Cape Cod Healthcare will be moving in. Cape Cod Healthcare is going to manage the facility. We will be leasing it to them and uh, with uh, a guarantee from the Department of Public Health. A couple of points that I'm curious about in that, you, you mentioned the need to prepare the residents and the staff for this transition. I'm curious, what does that look like given the COVID-19 emergency? Robin, you want to take that? Sure. They were very supportive. The staff and the residents and family members knew that we were going to make that move. They didn't know it was going to be that quickly. So we reached out to all of our family members. The administrator and the director of nurses of the facility met with all of the residents, and everybody was was excited, actually, to make the move. We had a lot of support, a lot of staff from other buildings that supported us with the move, and they did an incredible job. We were able to move everybody over within one day and did it very successfully. And I'm curious... Um Can you talk a little bit about the move in terms of testing? Because I know that in Massachusetts, that was where some of the other potential sites that would have been COVID-19 post-acute facilities, that was where they ran into problems. When they started testing people, they actually found some cases. And I was curious, given the testing shortage that has been making headlines around the country, did that become a problem for Royal Health Group at all during this time? It didn't because the building that we were moving into was not going to be a COVID building. And at the time when we made the move, we had no symptomatic residents at Main Street. So we were able to move them over um, without any testing. The other buildings were going to be COVID buildings, and that's why they were testing. And the, the facility that is starting up today in our old building will be a COVID recovery building. So Cape Cod Healthcare anticipating the surge was um, utilizing is going to utilize a facility for patients that are already through the treatment process at the hospital and I think they're testing negative before they move into the facility but even if they're not negative I think they're, they're just going to segregate uh, those who aren't negative but are no longer in need of acute care which would make sense given what we are, are learning still about how this particular virus manifests in, in people. It's not always particularly easy to get a handle on. Um, I am curious, in terms of the surge that you mentioned that Cape Cod was anticipating, can you go into that a little bit? What has the situation been on the ground and, and found with in terms of the patients in the hospital that need a place to go? I think uh, to date, the hospital has been not overburdened. They The, the first group today, I, my understanding is that they're moving five in today uh, to do a, um, a dry run and make sure they've got all their systems in place and staffing at an appropriate level to see what the needs are and how the facility is going to run. And then the plan is that on Tuesday, they'll begin moving more residents, uh, more uh, patients in. And my understanding is that they're talking close to 40 by next week. So up until now, uh, the Cape Cod Healthcare has managed the surge. Now they also own a skilled nursing facility at their Falmouth Hospital site. So there's there are two hospitals involved. Uh, Cape Cod Hospital, which is in Hyannis, is the uh, mother hospital, I guess, and and uh, Falmouth Hospital there is their associate hospital, which is about a mile from our building. 
and together they were looking at a total of about 45 patients being treated at the moment. So on, on the upper cape, which is where we are located, they've managed to uh, uh, handle all of the current cases. But uh, again, the anticipated surge is about to begin in the next few days. So I think that's that will be where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Got it. And one thing I wanted to, to kind of circle back to was you actually had mentioned negotiations with the Department of Health as you were helping, as you were working on getting uh, this facility off the ground and together. And I wanted to dig into that a little bit because one thing I hear a lot when I talk with skilled nursing providers in different states is just the challenge of managing the guidance that's coming out on both the federal and the state level and the different regulations that are involved. Can you go into a little bit what the, some of the Department of Public Health concerns were and, and what the points were that you had to go over with them and sort of everyone on the same playing field? Sure. So since this building was constructed in the late 80s, early 90s, it didn't meet the current codes. So over the past year or so, we did a number of fixes and renovations to bring it, uh, the facility up to the current uh, building codes for, uh, that, that meet uh, the licensure requirements. And we had gotten approvals, but because the approvals were more than the last, uh, more than 12 months old, they went through again and decided that they wanted to look at uh, the facility one more time before they gave us licensure. But I will tell you that the Massachusetts Department of Public Health recognizes, recognizes the urgency here. So our meetings basically focused on what uh, would be acceptable levels for them to allow us to get a license. And because we were an operating building, just moving our license, we weren't asking for a new license for the Jones Road facility or the newer facility. They were, uh, we were able to streamline the process significantly. Although I will tell you that uh, the, the, uh, the licensure survey, which was done last week, right before we, we moved in, entailed seven surveyors from the state. I'm sorry, eight actually walked in and spent the day with us going through the readiness of, of our staffing, uh, our schedules, policies and procedures, the readiness of uh, the nursing units, the, the, uh, uh, as well as the life safety folks came in. Uh, I think there were two, uh, two life safety folks, uh, surveyors, and they went through the building in, in extreme detail. It was a lot of people, yes. Uh, and uh, actually, there were probably more of them than there were of us a good part of the day. But uh, our people were still in there. We still had um, our, our staff in there readying the building, both from a physical plant uh, as well as uh, get, bringing in supplies. We had to get food in, supplies, get our kitchen equipment up to, up to speed. We were bringing in laundry equipment, which the laundry equipment, some of it arrived before we... Uh, we opened and some of it arrived within the day after. The life safety folks gave us a pretty good shopping list of, uh, of things that they wanted updated and corrected. But but the department bent over backwards to make sure that we uh, our license was able to be transferred over to this facility. Yeah, I know Massachusetts has really prioritized trying to get facilities available for COVID-19 patients. And that's actually something I wanted to ask you guys about, just in terms of what your thoughts were on some of the moves that the state made over the past several weeks, because I know as recently as just a few weeks ago, Massachusetts was 
you know, part of a move to cohort skilled nursing residents by converting some skilled nursing facilities to centers that are dedicated to COVID-19. And then they had to make that change recently. I was curious, did Royal Health Group ever consider converting some properties to treating COVID-19? Was that ever on the table or was it something you were more cautious about given the way the disease is going? Robin? Yep. We actually have, you know, unfortunately, we've we've had a few facilities that have been impacted with the virus, and they're they're doing very well managing it. So we are in the process now of looking at a couple of those buildings to have designated units that will be able to provide and admit patients with COVID. So yeah, we have not decided. We haven't wanted to turn over a full building, but uh, but uh, the state is and CMS have now authorized specific designated units. So I think that's the direction we're looking at. Up until up until this past week, though, I don't think we really gave that a whole lot of thought because of, there wasn't uh, clear guidance on whether they were going to allow specific units. Has that been a challenge, just staying on top of the different guidance? And, and how have you guys been handling that? Yes, it's a very fluid situation. And I'll just share a little bit of what we've been doing. We started meeting back in February when this really came out, and especially we were, we were watching Washington very closely. So we started in February with daily meetings in preparation. We have, with CDC, we're on the calls with CDC, DPH, CMS, but we, we took a very proactive approach early on where we were having daily calls with all of our facilities, whether there was coronavirus in the buildings or not. We were very proactive with our restrictions. In fact, in Massachusetts, we were the first facilities to restrict visitors before it became a regulation, and we started that back in March. We also had very strict policies regarding employees going on vacations. We had them stay out for a certain amount of days if they went on vacation. So we did a lot of that before the state mandated it. PPE, we started giving our employees masks and goggles before it was mandated in Massachusetts. So we've actually been ahead of the game as far as the Department of Public Health and their regulations, but we've been following the CMS guidance and CMS and just taking a more aggressive approach in our facilities, but continue with the daily calls with all our buildings. How has the PPE situation been? There's been headlines just across the healthcare spectrum, and I've written a few articles on the shortage in skilled nursing facilities. How are you handling just the supply chain challenges? It's it's been a struggle. I mean, we are paying a lot more than we should be paying. We used to get disposable gowns for about 37 cents a piece. Now we're paying close to $3, if not more. There's some companies out there charging $8 for the gowns. Wow. So we have, yeah, it's really been a struggle, Um, a significant amount of resources. We're all on the computer. There's, there's been an increase in supply recently, but you're paying a premium, premium price for it. But we started collecting supplies back in February, early March. So we we got a good handle on it, but we're still not where we need to be. So that is a daily discussion, you know, looking at supplies, making sure we have the masks, making sure we have the gowns. But it's troublesome because, unfortunately, you're paying triple, if not quadruple, on the prices. We've been really the beneficiary, too, of a significant amount of uh, donated materials. We've been really grateful for that. Uh, People from the community donated uh, 
different products and and uh even we uh we we've seen people making products uh, uh that that we can use and from uh, masks and gowns and, uh, and things of the sort yeah we've had a very we've had a large outpouring of people in the community we've had probably received over two thousand handmade masks, which are great, and then we have a team a lot of us on our weekends or after hours are making homemade filters, sewing homemade filters. So it's it's definitely been a group effort here um, collecting the supplies that we need. You mentioned at different points in this conversation how fluid the situation has been with COVID-19. And I'm curious, what has changed for you guys as you've worked through responding to this emergency? What has shifted from maybe your initial response or your initial stance or your initial plans and how have you adapted to that just what's it been like trying to stay on top of the changing situation and the the changing information that comes out as we keep learning more well again it is staying on top of the cdc guidance in cms and also department of public health you know staying on top of um, being on their website daily on their conference calls and having our calls daily. This is our life right now. I mean, this is our, our normal and, you know, meeting, talking to all of our team members. We, we talk to every facility, find out what's going on, talk to our vendors to make sure that we're all, you know, continuing to do what we need to do, whether it's hospice, our rehab, our cleaning companies. But this is, this is our life right now. As, as Robin mentioned earlier, we were a bit ahead of the curve uh, in terms of our stringency and, and the way we viewed uh, this. Uh, we think that that's definitely saved lives and certainly been better for our staff. And, and uh, from conversations I have with my peers, we have weathered the staffing issues to date anyway. We've weathered them significantly better than most of our peers have. And we attribute that to, um, I think, being out there early with uh, PPE. Although we we did receive some criticism from our from our peers at the time because they they thought that we were kind of creating uh, a, a bit of uh, unnecessary anxiety. Uh, but we felt very strongly that that was going to, if we were right, and we were clearly right, that the, the spread, uh, the community spread, would be a major issue for us, and the community spread. It's clearly been the only issue for us. We uh, had our facilities locked down early, as, as Robin indicated, and we had our staff protected early. So we know that the only way this was coming in was was uh, from community spread. Although we did have some patients who we sent to the hospital negative and came back positive. So those were, those were issues uh, as well. As we wrap up here, I wanted to ask... Given that you've had to work with the the state on accelerating this transition, given that you've been talking with Cape Cod Healthcare to get this facility uh, off the ground and running, I'm curious, what advice would you give to your peers in the skilled nursing world as they try and navigate the situation? And in terms of especially talking with their state, talking with health systems, what would you tell them now that you've been through this experience and, and are still, you know, working through it as everyone else is? I think for me, I, the communication is key, having conversations with your hospitals, being transparent, communicating with your families, 
and you, and your staff are key. There has to be a lot of communication. You you know, there's so much fear out there that if you sit down, you you talk to them, you let them know what you're doing, and you work together, that's really the only way we're going to come out of this. I don't even want to say successfully, but but come out of this because it really is about the communication and being transparent with what we're doing. I'm in complete agreement, and and I would say that uh, we've had different assignments for folks. Uh, Some folks have been assigned to dealing with families and and residents, and some have been assigned to dealing with the community, and and some have been assigned to dealing with the regulators. And I think by having specific assignments like that and and being knowledgeable in the areas that we had to communicate about, I think that's made a big difference for us. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for making the time today. I know that it's a very busy time. I know that everyone is trying to stay on top of multiple moving parts and everyone is trying to take care of their patients and and provide the best care they can. So I really appreciate you making the time to go over this and talk about what you've experienced in Massachusetts as you set up this, help set up this new facility. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink. And if you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Maggie Flynn, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.